chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a black hardbound one someone, somewhere near you. Uh, and today's passage can be found on pages 959 and 960. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. Actually, t- today we're going to look at two passages. 1 John chapter 4, but the, the one that we're going to read out loud together in a few moments uh, is 1 Corinthians 13. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at the idea that love is our highest calling. Um, this is week three, one, two, three, uh, of our core values series called Commissioned where we are looking at the things that God has uniquely called us not only to believe and to treasure, but also to transform um, the way that we relate to God and the way we relate to the world. And so this morning we're going to look at the idea that love is our highest calling. And um, as we jump in, I mean, it doesn't take a a rocket scientist to figure out that we live in a love-starved world. Right. Uh, by that, I mean that not there aren't people that don't experience some types of love, but really the idea of love um, as being something that is unconditional love as something that is deeply satisfying and meaningful is an elusive concept for people. Right. It's far too rare of an experience instead of living in a world that flourishes on unconditional love. We live in a transactional world or a world that is dominated by conditional love. So we live in a world where we give so that we get or we do for somebody else so that they will do something for us, right? And that touches every level of human relationships, right? That shapes marriages, right? Marriages are founded on the Jerry Maguire principle, right? You complete me. Like, I need something from you, right? And if you've been married for any uh, amount of time, you know, right, that that is absolutely not true, that there is no way that one person, right, can fill that spot in another person's life, right? So when we come into marriage with that kind of expectations that someone else will complete us, what happens when you don't get what you think you need, right? You fight, you quarrel, right? You withhold affection and attention. That's what happens. So you live in a a marriage with conditional love, right? And then um, when you figure out that marriage won't satisfy you, you begin to transfer that need over to your children. And so when they can't meet those demands or those expectations, right, you begin to shame them. You begin to fight with them. You begin to try to make them into what you need them to be for you. And that touches not only marriage and family, but friendships, right? People have expectations and friendships, careers, all of those things are predicated on this idea that we need something from someone else to complete us. And right, most of the time what we're doing is placing people and things in the places that God has been meant to fill for us. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the idea that love is our highest calling. And what would it look like for us to be a people that were more shaped by the unconditional love of God. And 
I have a friend named Susan Adams who recently wrote a blog for Key Life um, Network. And this is what she said. What if the church were more defined by its love? She says, it would look like this. What if someone admits a struggle with an addiction to porn or alcohol or drugs and our first response was to love them? She says, to show grace and mercy and help this person as a friend, as one who is beloved. Right? Isn't that what we all want? She says, what if someone confessed that they were suffering from depression or anxiety and we didn't jump in with quick answers and accusations that they weren't thankful enough? Right? Or they just didn't believe enough or they should just choose joy. What if we sat with this person and loved them? What if we wept with them in their pain and let them know that they weren't alone in this, no matter how long they suffered? What if we shared God's love and his goodness instead of telling them that God was disappointed in them for their lack of belief? What if instead of protesting and shouting hateful things to women seeking abortions, we held up signs offering to help? To help with doctor bills, to help with housing, or to help with adoption? What if instead of making our hatred known, we offered help and we offered love? Then she says, to conclude the article, she says, What if instead of shielding our children from the brokenness of people, we showed our children how to love? What if in seeing that kind of love, they begin to believe that God is kind and merciful? full of love and grace instead of a God who is more concerned with our morality and successes than our hearts and our failures. What if love? What if people were truly known that we are his disciples by the fact that we love one another, quoting John thirteen thirty-five. So what if the church were more defined by the love that God has shown us? What if our relationships in our homes? What if our relationships inside the church? What if our relationships with brother and sister sandpaper that exist in your gospel community were more shaped by love? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to begin by reading a portion of First John chapter 4, and it should appear on the screen behind me, and then I'm going to have you stand as we read 1 Corinthians 13. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Skipping down to verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Okay, now stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 8a. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we want so much right now to just be dominated by your perspective we all walk in here naturally on different pages but we open up this book to be on your page we open up this book because we know we need our gaze and our hearts adjusted so i pray that you would do that through your love i pray that you would pour out your love into our hearts by your holy spirit i pray that we would be different as a result of seeing jesus I pray that our city would be different as we encounter you more and more in your love. I pray that you would pour out the power of your spirit on us so that we would understand. I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to help us to make application. I pray that you would send the spirit to help me to proclaim this word to my friends that I love. Um, And I pray that we would be a people that live with love as our highest calling for the glory and the fame of Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. So, I'm going to just begin by looking a little bit at that passage from 1 John chapter 4 because um, it's foundational. Like, we don't ever want to assume that we understand love, right? I mean, um, at its core, like, love is something I think that we misunderstand as at least as much as we understand. So we need to understand a little bit about what love is and what love isn't. Um, like, most of our definitions of love, like, if we're honest, that especially those that are outside the church, are kind of more informed by Hollywood movies than they are scriptures, right? I mean, where love is primarily an emotion, like it's kind of like the flu. It's something that you can kind of fall into and fall out of. Um, But as the, the famous 1980s cultural philosophers Boston taught us, love is more than a feeling. So we want to be able to look at the idea that love is more than an emotion. Love encaptures all that we are. It has our mind, it has our wills, it has our affections and love. Ultimately, when it is processed and received, flows out into the world in action, right? So love is more than a feeling. So outside the church, it's, it's more dominated by a perspective of Hollywood. 
But inside the church, it's, it's more driven by duty, right? I grew up in, in churches where um, people would say things like, hey, I don't like them very much, but I love them in the Lord, right? I mean, the church, like there, there's this idea where we know that in the church, we're supposed to love one another. We just don't like each other very much, right? Am I telling the truth? Is everybody on this page with me today? All right, right? That's true, right? That's been everybody's experience with love. It's been a sense of duty. So love is more than emotion or sentiment, and it's certainly more than duty. But what we need to understand is love is not just difficult, okay? Love is impossible as biblically defined. Love is something that is completely outside of us before it is something that is inside of us. It says very clearly in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love, right? Love comes from God. Love flows from God. There is something about God where God in his essence and in his being cannot not Love, right? Love is outside of us before it is something that is inside of us. And this is good news for us because this means that love is not something that we have to stir up in ourselves, right? This is a gift that comes to us from God himself. And this is the difference between a do-it-yourself project on a Saturday where you have to make nine trips to Home Depot. Do any other guys have to do that when you do? Yeah, all right. That's the difference between that Right. And winning uh, 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 the people from fixer upper kind of coming to your house and doing it all for you. Right. This is the difference between pulling up yourself by your bootstraps and doing it on your own. And the spirit of God coming inside of you, awakening you to the love of God that you have received and seeing that flow out into the lives of other people. So we don't want to assume that we understand what love is We see love most clearly in the face of Jesus Christ. We see a love that comes after. A love that pursues. A love that forgives. A love that moves towards people in their shame and covers them in their shame. Love in the face of Jesus Christ reveals who God is. Right? And then... As we see that love of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he sends the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, chapter 1 says that he pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. One of the, we're, most of us get freaked out by the Holy Spirit. I get that. But one of the main reasons the Father sends the Spirit into the world is so that we would be convinced of his love and by being convinced of his love that we can freely love one another that's the way that god loves the world i'm going to read first john 4:10 and 19 it says the way that god's love makes its way into the world is through his people that have been so loved by him he says in first john 4:10 this is love not that we love him but that he first loved us So love comes from the gospel. Love comes from Jesus Christ. We love because he first loved us. So, as John the Apostle would say, Beloved, receive the love of God in the face of Jesus Christ as a gift. 
before we ever take one step towards what love looks like towards the world. We have to see what love looks like towards us in the cross of Jesus Christ. A God who did not withhold his own son, but he gave him up for us all. That is the source of all love in the universe. His love for you and his love for me. Now, let's zoom out and to have this big picture of love. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Because without love, we are just making a lot of noise. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, this is a passage that you traditionally hear at a wedding. And we kind of gloss over it and kind of just relegate this passage to marriage. But the truth is, this gives us some real handles for what love is and what love is not. Right? It says, like, you can do a lot of stuff for God. Right? You can do it in His name. Right? You can be using your gifts. You can be moving and grooving in the world and getting stuff done for Jesus. And if you don't have love, you sound like a preschool band, right? Have you ever seen these, right? I mean, we have them actually in the back. But I mean, there's these little triangles that they play and a a little tambourine and then the two blocks with sandpaper. Are you tracking? Right? Like he says, it says, if, if, if you don't have love, no matter what you do, you sound like that preschool orchestra, right? I mean, and it takes supernatural power to listen to those kids because all they're doing is clang, clang clang as loud as they can, right? So if we don't have love in our hearts towards the world, then we are just making a lot of noise. And not only is it noisy for us, but it's painful for the world, right? You can do all kinds of things in the name of Jesus and not have love. It says that it is by our love that people are going to know that he is our disciples, that we are his disciples. Love is what makes the church the church, right? Love is, this unconditional love is the one thing that uniquely makes the people of God the people of God. That we have received this love and that we can give it away. And the fact that we as a church in 2015 need to set aside time to remind ourselves that love is our highest calling. The reason that we have to do that is because as a church, and I say big C church, we've drifted, right? To have to restate the obvious that love is our highest calling means that we have drifted. And the truth is, it's not always been this way. The church historically, in many times and many ages, has been known for its love. So I want to do something that's a little bit risky. 
we need to do a little bit of church history. I don't mean like throughout the ages, but we just need to look at the last 75 years of church history because it has affected everyone in this room. It affected how everyone in this room grew up and it affected how the world actually perceives the church. Why do we have to restate the fact that love is our highest calling? And the first thing is that happened is World War One and World War Two, right? Particularly World War Two. World War Two was the bloodiest conflict in human history. Estimates say that between 60 and 80 million people were killed in World War Two. Estimates are as high as 55 million of those were civilians. And so you have this war. And, and then in the midst of all that, you have the six million Jews that were killed in concentration camps. So you got to imagine the effect that that had on the church. It had people running for the hills, right? So there was conflict inside the church. People were, you know, just beginning to say that this is not the authoritative word of God. Like with all the suffering that's going on in the world, the best that this could be is the rule of standard of faith, right? So there begin to be inside the church, a, a group of men that I am grateful for people that came up and they defended the inerrancy of scripture and said that, that all of scripture is God breathed and it's useful and it's profitable, right? But this was going on like in the world. So what happened was right as, as that those battles were going on, Christians just began to fight Christians. Instead of seeing love as their highest calling, they saw doctrinal purity as their highest calling. And so churches, instead of just being uh, an agent of love to the world, began to become these places where people began to critique the beliefs of other people, right? They began to just set up the church kind of like it's a seminary, and they began to have people's heads that were fat and their hearts that were empty. Right. So you have to understand. Like, and so that fighting keeps going on. So Christians fighting Christians. Many of you grew up in places like that. Right. And many of you have encountered people. That's their primary view of Christians in the world. Christians that fight with Christians. Not only that. But more recently in the last 20 years, there has been a blurring of faith and politics in the church. So for better or worse, over the last 20 years or so, the primary way that people identify Christians are with a particular political party. Instead of being known for their love, they are known for their politics. Now, I have to say this very clearly and very carefully. It's not as though Christians should not be involved in politics. All throughout Scripture, we see people like... King David, Moses, all of the judges that were involved in some sort of government. So the scriptures aren't against politics in general, but it is against demonizing people that were called to love. So if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to be passionate about politics, you have to be involved in politics that are markedly different from that of the world. The world, I mean, the scriptures are not against politics, but it is against partisanship, right? Partisanship is where you believe that your guy wears the white hat 
and is the source of all good and everything that is going to help the world. And the other guy wears the black hat and they are the source of all evil, right? I mean, Christians will be involved in politics and they would say things about people in government that they would never say about their neighbor. So if we're going to be able to be Christians and be involved in the political arena, it's very important that our values are shaped more by the kingdom of God than they are by the kingdom of this world. The reason that we can't be partisan is because there is no system in the world, right or left, that is inherently gospel-centered. It's important for us to understand this. Listen to this quote by Scott Sauls. It says, Unless a human system is fully centered on God, and no human system is, Jesus will have things to affirm and things to critique about it. The political left and the political right are no exception. See, what we have to understand is there is no system that is truly reflective of the kingdom of God. There are things about all of our politics that the word of God will address and critique. Ed Stetzer recently at a Republican national event said, anytime that you mix the gospel and politics, you get politics. So we have to be very careful as the people of God to distinguish between this eternal message of God's grace to save sinners and politics. So which kingdom are your politics more centered on? Is it the power struggle of this world or is it the kingdom to come? Scott Sauls also says this. He says, the kingdom of Jesus does not advance through spin, political maneuvering, manipulation of power, or taking a stand for what we believe. Do we ever see Jesus or for that matter, Paul or any of the apostles taking a stand against secular society or government. Rather, the kingdom of Jesus, this, I love this phrase, the kingdom of Jesus advances through subversive acts of love, acts that flow from conservative and progressive values. This is the beauty of the Christian movement. It embraces the very best of both points of view while pushing back on the flaws shortcomings and injustices inherent in both. So we need to hear this. The way that the kingdom of God advances is through subversive acts of love. Politics have never changed the human heart. Politics have never restored a marriage. Politics have never seen anyone born again. And we need to hear this like there's an election year coming up, right? And the way that we... Um, demonstrate our faith, the way that we interact on social media makes a difference to the world, right? We need to understand that the only thing that can save a marriage and the only thing that can change a human heart is the love of God through Jesus Christ that is applied to the heart through the Holy Spirit, right? So we need in these moments to be a group of people that are known more for our love than our politics, An application of this is our <laughs> social media, right? I came across this recently, and I think, it's, I think it's funny because most social media posts on Facebook, like you're always preaching to the choir. Unless you have a really diverse group of friends, you're probably not going to convince anyone. It says this, Dear person, 
passionately pushing your political agenda on Facebook. Congratulations. You've convinced me to change my vote. Thank you for helping me see the light. Appreciatively yours, no one. Right? That's true, right? I mean, (laughs) the way that we portray ourselves on social media makes a difference. So, I'm going to just ask you, this year, as the, the, the political race is being lived out in our lives, like, and on social media, are the things that you're posting reflective of the values of the kingdom of God, right? If someone that didn't know Jesus, are they going to be compelled by what you post? It's important. It makes a difference, right? The, the perception is reality. So, we want to be more known... For the gospel, we want to be more known for our love than we are for our politics. And it may be a sign of maturity, like if someone can't figure out what party you're associated with, right? Because you're holding in tension the values of the kingdom of God, right? And it's part of those are going to be on the left and part of those are going to be on the right. Jesus held both. So as Christians, we can hold both. So... That rise of politics over the last 20 years has distorted the message of the gospel in the church. And then, as Christians began to experience a loss of what they would call influence in the culture, there's the myth of the culture war. We've talked about this here before. The myth of the culture war... It's where many pulpits across the country began to preach the message of repentance without the message of forgiveness. And so you would see people pounding on pulpits, explaining that 9-11 is the judgment of God, or AIDS is judgment of God on homosexuals. And that would be the predominant message that would be going out from the church. And so as people listen to messages like that, and they don't hear the message that Jesus Christ came into the world, we need to hear this, John three seventeen, not to condemn the world, but through him they might be saved. So the, the myth of the culture war is just that. The only culture war that has ever existed took place between sinful man and God, right? And he won the culture war by winning us back with his love on the cross. So the culture war is over because love that came from God came down, right? So we need to be more aware of our love for the world. The culture is not our enemy. The culture is our mission. Right? So that muted our message. And then finally, moralism inside the church. So over time, people substituted, you will know that you are Jesus' disciples by your love for one another, to you will know that you are Jesus' disciples by your behavior. Right? Now, I'm not saying that 
seeing Jesus doesn't change how you live your life. But I am saying the primary message of Christianity is about forgiveness. The primary message about Christianity is that Jesus loves and came for sinners, right? And that message will transform our lives. But the, the, the main thing that we've picked up on is that Jesus wants to make you a better person. That people are going to know about your love by the way that you live your life. And if you have even read the book, like, this is what you need to understand. This book, like, if the people in these pages came to your small group, like, you would absolutely flip out. I'm just going to be honest with you. This book is gritty, it is raw, and it is real. This, this book is about believing in Jesus more than about being transformed all the way. Like... The book of Philippians is written because there's a cat fight between two women in the church. And it got so disruptive that they couldn't even continue to meet. So they had to have the Apostle Paul step in. Step in. Galatians is written because people were saying, there's another way to have eternal life. 1 Corinthians, the book that we're in this morning, the, the message was written to people that were getting drunk at communion and they were having sex with everybody in the congregation, right? This book is real and it is raw and Jesus does transform life, but it is not the primary message. The reason that they got off of the message and their behavior went askew was because they had forgotten to believe in the Christ right? This is about Jesus. This is about his finished work. And the more that we see that, right, then the more that it's going to change our life, not the other way around. So the the world is picked up on. You need to clean up your act before you come to Jesus instead of come to Jesus and find forgiveness and mercy and hope and life. So my prayer is that as we look at love as our highest calling, that we would be a place that welcomes people. Where it's okay, like, for people to belong to our community before they believe, right? This should be a welcoming place where people feel and experience tangibly the love of God, right? So we want people to experience love as our highest calling. Statistics say that there are about 40,000 people in Craighead County on the most recent census that checked none in their religious preferences, right? Which that number shocked me. But then as I thought about it a little more broadly, it doesn't. Yeah. Because most of the time, these are people that have encountered the church. They've encountered rules. They've encountered morality, but they've never experienced grace. So we have a wonderful opportunity here as the people of God to begin to extend grace so that people experience it. So that they have their lives transformed by the same message of mercy that we have. Jesus came into the world to remove burdens, not to add them. Right? So we have this message of freedom and forgiveness and love. Love is our highest calling. Which brings me to our final point. Love never ends. Look at verse 8a. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never ends. So, the way that God loves the world 
is by his people experiencing his love then out into the world. But this is a wonderful promise from God. Love never ends. It says in other translations, love never passes away. Let that sink in for a moment. There is never a time in your life that love is wasted, right? There's no such thing as wasted love. So every time that you sit down and you have a conversation with your children and you love them, Love never ends. Every time that you work through a conflict in your marriage and you extend real and genuine forgiveness, that love will live on forever. Every time that you take up your life and you take up your cross and you go out and you serve the world and you feed the hungry and you care for the poor, that love will never end. That love will live on into eternity and it will echo as praise to God forever. Right? That gives tremendous meaning to your everyday life. So every time that you go throughout your life, whether it's your job or whether you are a student, as you love people, right, you are reflecting God to the world, and that act of love will live on forever. It will be praise to God and reward for you. Right? That is an amazing promise. Love never ends. I love this definition from Eugene Peterson in the message. I'm going to read it really slow. And I, I want to see this definition become my definition of love, right? It's not just part of this is what love is, but all of this is what love is. And this squashes self-righteousness. It squashes gossip. It squashes trying to have a quarantined life that's sanitized from the messiness of other people. This is how he paraphrases verses 4 through 8. He says, Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love is our highest calling. It's not success in our careers. It's not making sure that your kids have every opportunity under the sun. It's not even religious activity, but it is love. And there's just a few phrases I want to pick up on as we close. They're from the ESV version. It says, love believes all things and love hopes all things. First of all, Love is about belief. It's about the things that you build your life on. So to be able to love someone is to say, I believe everything that God says about you to be true. Right? I believe that you are in your essence, in the image of God, created by God and loved by God. I'm going to choose to believe that about you, especially when things go wrong. Right? Love believes all things. I believe not only that, but I believe that Christ 
died for you, right? And I believe what Philippians 1 says, that he's going to finish the good work that he started in you. So I don't have to try to change you. God is the one that's going to change you. So love believes all things, but more than that, it says love hopes all things. So in the Bible, we use that word like, hey, I hope that happens, right? Maybe that might come true. But in scripture, hope is I'm banking on it. I'm going to live my life like God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do in your life. And so when we begin to believe that, that God is going to do what he promises to do, that as we pour out our lives towards the world in love, that he will actually satisfy our souls, that he's going to do the things that he promises to do in our lives as we live with love as our highest calling. Love believes all things and it hopes all things. Love banks on love. Love banks on the grace and the mercy and the love of God. So love never ends. I just want to end with this. That kind of love doesn't happen apart from a hill called Calvary. That kind of love doesn't happen because of an emotional experience. That love happens because God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and was nailed to the cross for all of our sins and all of our rebellion to bring us into relationship with him. That's where love that never ends comes from. And so as we place our faith in that love, we can begin to love by faith towards the world. Love is our highest calling. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for living for us. Thank you for dying for us. I pray that you would help us to recover love as our highest calling. I pray that you would allow us as a people to be known by our love for one another. I pray that you would begin to pour out your love on the world um, through us. I pray that you would bring assurance to any of us that doubt this morning. I pray that you would begin to build confidence of your love into our hearts so that it's poured out into the world. Father, I pray that you would be near to us. I pray that you would be kind to continue to lead us and guide us into love actions and love's feelings and I pray that all of those things would be done for the praise and the glory and the fame of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.